Well, good morning, everybody, and thanks for logging in and joining us this morning. I hope you are all doing well and staying safe. These have been interesting days. These moments in history will be recorded from a variety of perspectives. In fact, I imagine that we are going, what we're going through now will be referred to well into the future. <laughs> in fact, with all the isolation and people staying at home, there may be a surge in babies here in about nine to 10 months with the middle name of Corona. I can remember older people recounting moments that mark them in the nation with, where were you when you heard this news type of statement? Like, where were you when you heard Pearl Harbor was bombed? Or where were you when you heard that President Kennedy was assassinated? And if you are over 20 years of age, where were you when terrorists attacked the Twin Towers on 9-11? Moments like this mark us, they define us, but they also have the ability to refine us. They have the capacity to make us more in tune with following Jesus. You see, this time can heighten our awareness to others and to, and to God working, and it can wake us up to a life of engagement with Jesus and people he desperately loves. When we allow moments like we are experiencing today to move us in the direction of God's activity, our lives take on new purpose and meaning. We get glimpses of God that normally we may miss. I don't know about you, but there have been days my head was hurting with the news and all the information. I have a friend in Australia who suffered a severe brain injury and he was an avid dirt bike racer and just about lost his life in an accident. His recovery was extremely slow and he had to relearn how to talk, how to walk, and other daily actions and activities that we take for granted. As a result of the accident, he gave his life to Jesus and became a disciple of Jesus. He and I spent a lot of time together talking about God, reading and studying the Bible. Part of his recovery was to be aware when his mind had reached its limit for the day. His therapist taught him to say, I'm full now. What that meant was, I, I can't take in any more information now. He needed a break. I think we could all say, I'm full now when it comes to the coronavirus. So this morning what we are going to do is we're going to open God's Word and if you have a Bible open it to Romans chapter 9. You see chapters 9 through 11 can be pretty confusing. Some passages we read and understand what God is saying while having our questions answers. Romans 9, 10, and 11 are chapters that can leave you confused with more questions than what you had before you read them. In fact, you may be tempted to start playing mind games. This week and next, we will be trying to make sense of what matters most. So Romans chapter 9, starting with verse 1, Paul writes, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. They are the people of Israel, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege 
of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful promises. Paul goes on, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as his human nature is concerned. And he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. You see, here's the setup. Paul was extremely concerned. His own people had turned their backs on God's plan. They are relying on their heritage as Israel to be enough with God. They, they had gotten so fixated on what they thought they had figured out about God, they assumed a very dangerous position. They were understanding that ethnic Israelites were never made automatic members of God's covenant family. They weren't understanding that that was not the truth. He says, not at all, not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. This is a law, this is a jaw-dropping, eye-opening claim by Paul. Up until the time of Jesus, all Jews thought they were born, because they were born Jewish, they were God's chosen, accepted, and privileged people. But God had always selected a subset from Israel's family to carry on the line of promise. With Abraham, he selected from Abraham Isaac, but not Ishmael. From Isaac's sons, he selected Jacob, not Esau. In verses 6 through 12, Paul reflects on Israel's past from the Old Testament story and brings up an issue that could lead them to begin playing very dangerous mind games. He goes on in verse 13. In the words of the scriptures, I love Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Are we saying then that God was unfair? Of course not. For God said to Moses, I will show mercy on anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. We can neither choose it nor work for it. For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others, so they refuse to listen. Well then, you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them to do? Now this is confusing. On the one hand, God loves people, and he has selected the Israelites to be his people. But now it looks like he's going back on that promise. Also, it would appear God is playing the role of puppet master. He, he says he hardened Pharaoh's heart. These verses have caused a lot of debate and distress over the years. You see, the Israelites and even Pharaoh refused to change. They believed they had everything figured out. They didn't move with God. They stayed stuck in their minds, believing that their ethnicity or their position was all they needed, while God moved on, leaving them behind. Paul's point is that God's 
line of promise is carried on by those who live by faith and follow Jesus. He reminds us that for a long time, people inside and outside of Abraham's family have rejected God's will. He recalls the story of Pharaoh's hard heart and how God was able to orchestrate the events that people's rejection of him actually accomplished his redemptive purposes. In verse 19, he says, Why does God blame people for not responding? Have they simply done what he makes them to do? That's a legitimate question. And Paul answers it in Romans 9, verse 20. He says, No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, Why have you made me like this? Have you ever asked God that question? When a potter makes jars out of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another jar to throw in the garbage? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. You see, what Paul is saying here is God has the capacity to see the end, and he knows the heart. And what we need to realize is a basic characteristic about God, and it's simply this. God is sovereign. If you were to look up the word sovereign in the dictionary, you would find words and phrases like superior, greatest, supreme in power and authority, ruler, and independent of all others. You see, God's sovereignty means simply this. God is in control. (laughs) That's a relief in today's age, isn't it? There's absolutely nothing that happens in the universe that is outside of God's influence and authority. As King of Kings and Lord of Lords, God has no limitations. And here are a few of the claims in the Bible makes about God. It says, God is above all things and before all things. He is the Alpha and the Omega. In other words, he is the beginning and the end. He is immortal and he is present everywhere so that everyone can know him. The Bible also says God created all things and holds all things together, both in heaven and on earth, both visible and invisible. God knows all things, past, present, and future. And there's no limit to his knowledge. God knows everything completely before it even happens. I remember as a young boy, I felt like my parents knew everything. I would go do something at school and they would find out about it, but it paled in comparison. It pales in comparison with what God knows. And it goes on to say, God can do all things and accomplish all things. Nothing is too difficult for him. Whatever he wants to do in the universe, he does, for nothing is impossible with God. And then God is in control of all things and rules over all things. He has power and authority over nature, over earthly kings, over history, angels, demons, governments, politicians, viruses. Even Satan himself has to ask God's permission before he can act. Only God can make these claims. 
Therefore, it's God's sovereignty that makes him superior to all other gods and makes him alone worthy of worship. Now, there are three benefits of trusting in a sovereign God. First, we have confidence in his power. Just as back in the days when peasants always bowed before their king for fear of offending the one who had the authority to take their life, God's sovereignty compels us to bow before him. But unlike the corrupt earthly kings who abuse their authority to terrorize their subjects, God rules in love. He loves you and he wants the best for you. He is an all-powerful God, and he cares for you. Second, God's sovereignty provides us comfort. God makes that promise, and millions throughout history have testified to its truth because God has proven his ability to back it in times of trouble time and time again. Think about the implication of that promise because God is sovereign and he loves you, nothing will ever come into your life that he does not either know about, allow, or have a purpose for. No matter what you face in life, take comfort in the fact that God is sovereign. And last, God's sovereignty gives us a focus for worship because God is completely good and completely sovereign He is completely worthy of worship. That's why we we sing. That's why we gather to praise God. The biblical claims about God gives us specific reasons to worship him. Now, when we talk about mind games, they have been around for a long time. Uh, And I'm not talking about riddles or computer games, but people playing mind games usually because they are insecure, immature, or have a manipulative type of personality. Most of that stems from personal insecurities and the inability to trust and connect with another person in a healthy way. Mind games are actually defense mechanisms, and they are used to avoid responsibility, hurt, and to keep people from seeing who we really are. Here are some mind games people play that can translate in how we relate to or view God. First, there's the mind game of projecting. Projection is when one person attributes their own thoughts and actions to someone else. You may know some people like this. For example, a person that is being unfaithful may blame their partner for cheating. We project to God, don't we? We see our unfaithfulness, our impatience, our unforgiveness or our conditional love and then we project it onto God and it's harder for us to believe that God really does love us and is unconditionally loving us. Second, playing hard to get. People intentionally try not to show their interest and affection for the person they are dating. The purpose for that is to make themselves look more valuable in the eyes of their date. They don't want to appear easy or desperate, or they simply like the feeling of being chased. Now, some people think God plays hard to get. They believe he's elusive like a T-800 
teenage girl who knows she's cute and boys are interested, so she flirts, then distances herself. Some see God as a flirtatious teenager, showing just enough of his glory and goodness, but never allowing himself to truly be known or won over. Another way of playing mind games is sending mixed messages. People who do that act interested for a while and then they ignore you completely, only to start acting interested again later. They do that intentionally for the purpose of making you feel desperate and insecure and more focused on them. God's message is clear and consistent. He loves you no matter what. He doesn't play that game. Another mind game is guilt tripping. People use guilt trip techniques, in other words, blaming others, to make the other person weaken uh, their personal boundaries. A person who feels guilty will often let others walk all over them and do things they wouldn't do if guilt was not there in the first place. Now, when it comes to God, many run from the guilt or sin and in our guilt, we blame others before God, or we begin to blame God, and we try to hide from the guilt and not allow him to remove it. That's what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. They were guilty, and they started to run away from God. And then there's the withholding of affection. Many will withhold affection if they don't get their way. Sometimes you may think God is withholding his love or you actually try this with God. Things don't go my way, I'll show God, then I'll withhold my love. And how's that working for you? Another mind game, and, and this was a new one to me, it's called love bombing. Love bombing is, is what manipulative people often do at the beginning of the relationship. They try their best to seem like the perfect, wonderful person from your dreams rather than a normal person. They may text you constantly, buy you gifts all the time, and move quickly into the relationship. I have heard over and over again people say, Marty, I remember when I first became a follower of Jesus. My relationship with him was dynamic. It was exciting. It was fresh. I felt so close. But now something has changed. They go on to wonder if God really does love them or if he really does exist. You see, God doesn't love bomb. God's love surrounds. The problem is we're the ones who become disinterested. You see, it's dangerous to play games with God. We can get so caught up with our own rationale, our own perspectives, our own agendas, we miss what God is up to what he has for us, and what's really most important. So as we look at this passage, these passages in Scripture, we need to keep in mind God doesn't play mind games, and he has nothing to avoid with us. He doesn't need to protect his image or his character. God wants us to know who he is. And when we know who he is, we can know what really matters. But here's the catch. I won't know everything. You see, God is sovereign. He knows everything, and I can't know everything. If I think I will, I, that there'll be a day that I will, then I'm really wanting to be God. I'm trying to take his place in the world. 
that is probably one of the biggest areas humanity struggles with. We want to have all things figured out. We want to know everything, understand all the ins and the outs of life. What that really comes down to is control. If I understand everything, I will be able to control my life. I will be able to control others and my circumstances and my future. I will be able to project myself on my loved ones. You see, God is the only one that's sovereign. And when we read scripture that we don't fully grasp or understand, we need to understand that he does. The truth is, we will never be in that place of control. Only God will. Even when everything comes to conclusion and completion and Jesus comes back, sets up his kingdom completely, we will not know everything. We will not be in control. Jesus will. And that's one of the fallacies that many believers think. They go, when I go to heaven, I'm going to know everything. No, you won't. Because that would mean you would be God. When I play mind games with God, I am reducing him down to be less than he really is. I'm trying to bring him down to where I am at on my level. And you see, God has already come to my level. And his name is Jesus God says this. He says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. When I allow God to be God, then God is so much more than what I can comprehend. I release the desire to know everything. Then I am on track to really keep focused on what matters most. So Paul he, he, he brings conclusion to, to Romans 9, starting with verse 33, 30 to 33. He says, what does all this mean? Good, good question. Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in him. They stumbled all over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble. That stone was actually Jesus, a rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. This is why one of the main themes found in Scripture is the directive to walk by faith. Paul lands there in the first part of chapter 10. You know, um, he talks a lot about faith in the earlier chapters of Romans. But then in chapter 10, Paul turns his focus to Israel and the present. The reason many of the Israelites rejected Jesus is because they were basing their covenant relationship with God on their performance of the commands in the law. They thought that their ethnicity sealed the deal. And so sadly, they didn't recognize what God had done for them through Jesus to create a new covenant family on the basis of faith. Hopefully one of the good things will come out of the times that we're in is better clarity on what's really important. You see, we can get so caught up in life and the mind games that happen in our work, in our community, in our school, and even in our homes. 
So how do we make sense of what matters most? First, we need to let God be God. Stop trying to understand everything. You can't. Stop playing the mind games. Get to know him for who he is. He is sovereign. Don't let your desire to have everything figured out cause you to miss out on who God is. I want to repeat that. Don't let your desire to have everything figured out in your mind cause you to miss out on who God is. Next, rest in his love. The Bible says that you are his beloved. And it also says that we need to be still and know that he is God. In this time of of self-isolation and and, uh, being at home and I hope that you just won't have the television on all the time or that you just won't be in screen time mode all the time. Shut everything down. Be still before God. And you may even want to try something like this. Um, I heard a speaker say that we are beloved. And so take a deep breath in. Let's do this right now. Just breathe in and hold it. Let it out. Let's do it again, but this time, say the words with me. Be loved. Be loved. Let God love on you. Be still and know that he is God. And then lastly, I want to encourage you to focus on what Jesus commands. You want to have perspective in life? You want to get to know God more? Then rely on the one whom God sent to this earth to be like us and learn from him. One of the, some of the last words of Jesus before he went to be with the Father after he rose from the grave, he told his followers this, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, And I want you to teach them everything that I have commanded you. How's that going for you? Are there things that you know in your life that you need to pay attention to when it comes to Jesus' commands? You want to stop playing the mind games with God or the mind games with, with your friends or family? Then you need to start focusing on what matters most. And Paul talked about that in Romans 9 in the first part of, of Romans 10. He said, what is most important? Even though God makes decisions that we don't understand, the most important thing is, is to walk by faith. And friends, we can do that this week, even in the midst of the turmoil, even in the midst of the mind games that we feel are going on around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that you are fighting for us and that you are our way maker. And even when we don't see it or feel it, we know that you're working. You never stop working. Father, I pray this week you would reveal yourself in great ways to us, that we would see your hand moving. Would you give us opportunities to trust you and let you be God? Will you help us to be still and rest in your love? And will you guide us 
as we live out what Jesus has commanded. Father, would you open the doors that only you can open for us to be your hands, your feet, and your heart to a lost and dying world, to people who are struggling, who are fearful, who are hopeless, who are in distress. Help us to see tangible ways to be Jesus to one another and in our community. And Father, last, we just pray that you would work and move around our world where there is sickness, where this virus has spread and is causing pain and turmoil. Would you bring healing? Would you bring this virus to an end? And for those who have lost loved ones, I pray that you would comfort them. And most of all, Father, I pray that even in the midst of these times, people's hearts and minds would be turned to you, Jesus. Thank you for being the God of the universe. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.